0: Hey, happy Thanksgiving Sunday to all, dear Christ Central. Uh, I'm going to take one week break from the book of Acts. We're going to stick with the same author, Luke. So let's jump over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, entitled, Who Returns with Praise? Let's give our full attention to this, starting at verse 11, Luke 17. I'll read it for us. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Says God's word, thanks be to God. Well, this story belongs to a larger section. It begins in verse 5, which we are about to read. In verse 5, the disciples specifically request of Jesus our Lord, increase our faith. And then this entire section closes in verse 19, which we just read, Jesus commending. Someone's faith. It begins in verse five with a request for an increase in faith closes in verse 19 with Jesus being so pleased with one person's faith. So today all about faith as we come to this Thanksgiving Sunday, three parts, three parts to faith, its location, first of all, second, its duty, and third, its response. All right, three parts, the location of faith. The duty of faith, what it does. And then third, its response, what faith does to you or does with you. First, the location, where to get it, where to get it. As promised, as mentioned, we're going to read verses five and six now. Again, this begins this entire section on faith. Verse five, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. All right so disciples apostles followers of Jesus pray and request Jesus I man if only just I had more faith I've had a stronger faith I've had a more robust faith increase the quantity of my faith. Sounds like something what Christian people might say it sounds like your small group it may sound like a prayer request it's a good thing. Sounds spiritual, well-intentioned, well-meaning, doesn't it? And oftentimes, we want an increase in faith, especially as we're going through. There's a lot of people right now ravaged by illnesses, COVID again, a lot of children sick. Our hearts and our prayers do go out to you. Just visited NorCal, the tech industry, a lot of jobs. I know some of you, your jobs have been... Directly affected and in between jobs and you have distress or fears or uncertainty of the future. Yeah, we all want, Lord, Lord, please give me more faith. But Jesus here, who knows all of our minds, all of our hearts. He knows our words before we even speak them. He points out in an interesting way. You know, your problem isn't really that you need more faith. The problem might be you don't have faith at all. Oh, I think this is what Jesus is pointing out. Isn't this why he says, you know, if you had faith like the size of a grain of a seed, a mustard seed. I don't, haven't seen a mustard seed lately, but I imagine it's very, very small, like really tiny. Like if I held one up right here on stage you probably could not see it. But according to Jesus, if any of you or I had faith, that size, that tiny, that little itty bitty, but real faith, you could tell a tree to be uprooted and it would be transplanted into the sea. What's Jesus' point? I think his point is, oh disciples, oh believers or followers of me, instead of don't get distracted, don't, don't, don't deflect. See? Don't try to confuse. Don't try to distract people like, oh, I just need more faith. Increase the amount of faith. No, 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 no. Jesus comes back with his own question: Do you really have faith at all? See, does it exist? Do you even have a seed of faith? Because if you did, you could move a tree into the sea. Hmm. You know, if you struggle with faith like I do, like all the time, like is this for real? Do I really believe this? Is this going to determine all of eternity, heaven and hell? my future destiny, as well as my present life. I mean, is this really for real? I want to tell you, my friends, you don't actually increase or grow your faith by looking at its amount or quantity or fervency or even its quality in your heart. Let me say that again. You don't start faith and you don't grow your faith by obsessing over, how much faith do I have? Jesus's point is, you're only gonna faith. You're only gonna get faith. Do you know where it originates? Do you know how it starts? And yes, do you know how it grows? It's all about location, location, location. Faith is born. It originates if you look in the right direction. This is what Jesus taught famously in Matthew chapter six, starting at verses 25 and 26. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life so much anxiety and stress today Jesus says don't stop here's how I'm going to tell you how you can be stop being so anxious what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing here's how you can stop being so anxious look look where Look in the right direction. Here's one of the right directions you should look. Look at God's world, God's creation. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Oh, anxious ones. Oh, people who say, I just wish I had more faith. Jesus says, I want you to look. Location, location, location. I want you to look at the birds of the air, which my father has made. And how the birds are so well taken care of. Like the world still runs pretty darn well. And Jesus concludes, if you look there, if you consider there, if you think about that, if you focus more on that. You see, focus more on what God is doing. Not the amount of your faith. And see... What happens to your anxiety levels? Look at creation. Look at verse 30. The next verse. Uh, Verse 27, sorry. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I love how Jesus said this well before our whole generation. He says, uh, if you're anxious, it does nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Hey, parents, you know, you're stressing about your kids, how they're doing. You being overly stressful and anxious about them and losing your sleep. uh, It adds nothing. There's no value to it. It helps nothing. It solves nothing. It doesn't move anything forward you know jesus says that it doesn't actually lengthen your life in any way it actually probably robs the longevity of your life now verse 30 to 30 but if god so clothes the grass of the field you see look 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 out and look at the birds and look at what god's doing with the world now look at the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow's thrown into the oven will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith oh two things there in that last verse will he not much more clothe you now think of it my friends if god is your father and he's taking care of birds and he's taking care of the grass and he's taking care of all of creation he's taking care of all of the cosmos do you not believe that he will not take more care of you if you are his beloved daughter or son like really, honestly, honestly, do you, do you really think God will not value and prioritize and provide and protect and give you his child all things that you really need? And then Jesus concludes by saying, oh, you of little faith. I hope you have been paying attention so far. What do you think Jesus means when he says you have little faith? Translation. You don't have any faith yet. It's not about its amount. It's not about its fervency. It's not about its intensity. It's about the object of your faith. Where are you looking? In whom do you trust? Where do you obsess? Where's your location? Jesus goes on in verses 31 and 33 in this famous sermon. Next slide, please. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? You don't have to fret and be overly anxious. But do do this in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All right, so that's how this whole section really begins. Lord, increase our faith. Jesus comes back and says, do you really have faith? And if you really want to have faith, look in the right location. Second, as we move on, it's duty. What faith does, what faith does. Look at verses 7 through 10. A second story. That belongs to this larger section. Verses 7 through 10 of Luke 17. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. We are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. Here's an illustration of duty-bound servants. Now, this is nothing like American slavery in our history, which was race-based and dehumanizing. This was, in Jesus' culture and day, a way to pay off debt. But this illustration, I admit to you, I had to talk about it or think about it every single day this week at least. I couldn't get over it. I couldn't digest it. I don't think I still fully understand it. But I'm going to give you what I have so far. Because it just sounds so foreign to me. It sounds so off. You know, I live in a culture where I am used to recognize me. Give me at least a participation certificate. Give me some applause. Give me some rewards. Like, I don't, I think I deserve that. And no, this illustration is the polar opposite it's duty bound servants. And much of life, many jobs, and a lot of love relationships actually work like this. You hit a stage where it's duty bound servants or service, the newborn parents, right? first-time parents that's right nothing trained you for it right you had no idea there's no way anyone could ever describe to you how consuming and how tiring and how crazy hard it could be and then for some of us in this room you went from parenting which was duty bound there's no way you could take a night off some of your parents our parents ailing hurting needy like never before, and you're providing that kind of care around the clock. Duty-bound servants. Now, why does Jesus tell this second story? You see, most importantly, if you have a real relationship with God, which comes by faith, anyone in this room that is in a proper relationship with God, by faith, you know your role. You know what position you're in. Your whole worldview has radically changed. And your worldview is that God owes me nothing. I'm the one who owes everything. You know, whereas before you came into a relationship with God, you used to think God owes me. God owes me. You're resentful, like God owes me better than what I have right now. But no, when you come into a relationship with God, it's God owes me nothing. I owe God everything I obey God in everything and I have all these duties that I must fulfill. No questions asked, period. Faith. Has faith done this? Does faith go about your duties? Let's be honest once again. I think in so many of our desires, our hearts, our prayers, deep down there, I struggle with it, too. Don't you feel like God owes you a good life? Come on, let's be real. Don't a lot of you here feel, God, you owe me at least a decent life, right? Like at least average life. If you're middle class, at least middle class. If you don't like middle class, at least above all the other middle class people. Deep down in our hearts, Do you feel that you deserve a good, easy, blessed life from God? Here's my question for us. On what basis do you feel you deserve that? On what basis do Americans feel they are entitled and deserve, God, you should give me a good life? A Christian has realized and accepted, no, God owes me nothing. I owe everything. You're not a Christian yet until you've settled this. That's why this second story is just so hard. It's so stark. It's so harsh. But can I tell you, my friends, if you haven't settled that your relationship with God works like master and servant... It's not like when the master comes in and says, after you've done all your duty, oh yeah, it's your time to eat and drink. No, wait your turn. You've just simply done your job. Wait your turn. You still have more jobs to do. This whole orientation, this kind of relationship, Jesus is bringing to bear, and he says, people of faith have settled this question once and for all. You know, for the rest of my life, oh Lord, if I'm to call you my God... God, you owe me nothing. I'm the one who owes. I'm the one who owes. You know, recently I've been reading through a book by Daniel Nayiri entitled, Everything Sad is Untrue. Aren't you just attracted by the title? Everything Sad is Untrue. And of course, the author confesses he stole that title from J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings. The author, of course, sat under gospel preaching for decades. And the gist of the novel is true life story of his mom's conversion to Christianity in Iran. And it's about his refugee family fleeing from Iran and ending up in Oklahoma because they were under a death sentence for that kind of conversion. It's humorous, it's crude, it's raunchy, and it's profound. But I came across this one passage that still, still, does something to me i want to share it with you takes a foreigner's perspective imagine you're evil when's the last time you actually imagined that not misunderstood not sad but evil imagine you've got a heart that spends all day wanting more imagine your mind is a selfish room full of pride or pity Evil isn't punching people or even hating them. Suddenly it's all that stuff you've left undone. All the kindness you could have given. All the excuses you gave instead. Imagine that for a minute. Imagine what it means. Oh, it still wrecks me as I read it. It takes a foreign christian in america to bring an indictment on american entitlement in evil and mine but this is what fate does you're duty bound location duty now we get to our passage its response its response we read from verses 11 through 19 10 lepers crying aloud as Jesus is passing through between Samaria and Galilee on the way to Jerusalem. 10 lepers. I don't know if you've ever seen leprosy. You can look upon it on a computer. It's gross, it's offensive. It was a living, physical sign and representation, according to the Old Testament, of you're under a curse. It was a physical sign of the utter pollution and destruction and decay of sin and death. And then the shame and separation it brings. In Leviticus chapter 13, if you are a leper, you are duty bound to cry out. When anyone comes in your vicinity, unclean, unclean, you ought to shout that out. Because lepers, contagious, potentially lethal morally and spiritually and culturally also deemed as under the curse of God were nowhere allowed around around the people of God, the temple of God. They knew that they were someone forbidden by God. But here, standing far off, can you picture it with me? 10 lepers far off just crying out as Jesus who comes in person Jesus who comes in person for the least likely, the most unlikely people in the world, bringing the mercies of God, and they cry out to him, and then Jesus turns around and commands them, go and show yourselves to the priests, and if you go to the priests, you will be cleansed and healed. Now, that command was not easy or quick. It would take three days Three days journey by walking to get to Jerusalem. And then, if you met with the priest, there were all kinds of elaborate procedures that would have to be performed. Ten lepers, commanded by Jesus with the mercies of God, they would have to have prolonged obedience a long obedience, a steady, determined, disciplined obedience. And all ten of them went, it reads, All ten walked toward Jerusalem. All ten walked believing and obeying Jesus. And all ten along the way became aware of miraculous cleansing and healing along the way. All ten were healed along the way. But only one returned with praise. Now look at verses 17 to 19 as Jesus wonders aloud. Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Where are the nine? Where did they go? Well, don't you see them? They're still walking toward Jerusalem. Don't you see the other nine? They're obeying exactly what you said. Jesus, you commanded them to go show themselves to be cleansed by the priests. They're doing their duty. They're doing exactly what you told them to do. After all, Jesus, you never spelled out to them that you should come back and return with praise. Parrots, parrots, of course, you know, are very intelligent creatures. They're birds who can mimic what human beings say how marvelous, how intelligent, but their hearts are never in it. Parrots could do and copy what you do, but their hearts aren't in it. This is the third story in a larger section. It's the third climactic development on faith. And real faith has its fruit. Real faith has a response. Faith is made real in its response. Real faith returns with praise. Sorry here, it's only one out of 10. But real faith returns with praise. You see, if you think that if you have faith and you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ and you're a person who just does your duty, you do your job, like, I mean, God, you told me what to do, I did it. (laughs) I did it look I did it don't you see that I did it and then I'm just going to move along with my life oh listen my friends this morning if faith for you is just doing your duty and moving along you don't have faith because the whole point of faith is not for you to move along it's to move the heart of Jesus the whole point of faith It's not about you. It's to so move the heart of Jesus. Oh, Jesus Christ here, as he wonders aloud, where are the other nine? Did I not heal them too? But look at verses 15 and 16, and then the concluding verse in 19. Then one of them, only one, when he saw that he was healed... Turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. A foreigner at that. Verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Oh, my dear friends this morning. If you have even a tiny mustard seed grains worth of faith. And if that faith makes you duty bound. That same faith, real faith. Will always return in a response of praise. Because in this last verse when Jesus says rise. Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Do you not see it? Do you not sense it? Do you not feel it? Jesus is so pleased. So pleased with one out of 10. Who returns with praise? A Samaritan at that. Again, the least likely people. Not only was he a leper, but he was ethnically, geographically, theologically, morally, spiritually, least likely. Question for us today. Who in this room or who listening in really returns with praise? Whose hearts are filled and moved with thanksgiving and worship to God this day? Whose hearts burst and pump with real praise to God? I'll tell you who. It's only people in this room who feel like they're the least likely. It's always those who feel like they're the least likely. The ones who know the greatness of your sins. The ones who know the greatness of your debt. The ones who know the greatness of what you really deserve. The ones who know the greatness of your miseries and sorrows and fallouts and mistakes. The ones who know God owes you nothing, but you really owe everything the ones who return with praise to our lord jesus christ are the ones who know the greatness of their debt but they cry out in faith for a greater savior and then they're amazed and surprised that his healing mercy is greater still the ones who know the greatness of their debt the greatness of his mercy and this will always produce greater praise Only the people who really know and feel the greatness of your neediness, the greatness of your real situation, the greatness of how much you don't have apart from God paying any attention to you, and then for you to cry out for mercy, not what you deserve, No, 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 no. Please never cry out to God. Give me exactly what I or my family members deserve. But the ones who cry, give me mercy, mercy, mercy. The things I could never deserve. And the ones who know the greatness of that need are met by a greater mercy are then broken and undone. Revived and filled with greater praise. Because you do know what Jesus had to go through to make the foulest clean, to forgive sinners, to heal the spiritual lepers all around. He marched toward Jerusalem, not to be healed, no, but to be wrecked. Jesus, for him to heal those 10 lepers down to the last man or woman or child, would march into Jerusalem and he would be wrecked. He would be ripped. He would be destroyed. He would be shamed and separated and hung up on a cross. You know, Veterans Day, we just recently passed by it. It's a moment that the nation collectively remembers heroes who fought and maybe even died to purchase our freedom. Do you know that every single Sunday worship is a group of Christians who are called to gather together to remember and worship and thank Jesus for what he went through to purchase our total freedom. And it is in him and what he went through, you can see it, the gospel, those are the ones who return with praise. Oh, every Biblical song, poem, passage, sermon, prayer. That has to do with Thanksgiving. Almost every single one recalls the steadfast love of God. And if by chance this morning, we probably are the only percentage of people in the entire world that find it hard to find reasons to be grateful We should imagine and let that sink in. But if you do find it so hard right now to find reasons to, for gratitude and worship to God, can I bring you back to what the Bible says over and, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again? The steadfast love of God, the chesed love of God, the faithful love of God. Take time, slow down, and recount it. Last weekend, one of my favorite things to do now is definitely take a vacation with my family. Went up to Northern Cal to our sister church, Christ Central in San Francisco. That is a place that's like my spiritual home. During my undergraduate college years at that church overlooking the ocean, I remember it. I felt born again, again. It was at that church I felt called into gospel ministry, crazy. It was through that church I got a taste of genuine spiritual revival and then I've had lifelong friends that still, still are so kind and good to me to this day. It's from that church that I had a honeymoon stage of ministry for college ministries. People are just so nice and patient with you when you're a rookie and you have no idea what you're doing. And 30 years later, going back to that same church, as I slowed down with my family, I got to just recount and replay and retrace. 30 years later... to some of my shame. Oh Harold, I remember when your love for Jesus was hot. It was on fire. You could feel it. It was obvious, it was evident. 30 years later, it may not be the same, but do you know what I realized again last weekend? the steadfast love of Jesus burns for me still. My love may grow cold at times. His love burns hot. My love may go missing at times. I may forget it, but he never forgets me. I may be faithless. I may doubt. I may lose all faith. But there is someone most perfectly faithful all my days. My dear friends, in worship to God, who will return with praise? I ask of you to consider and recount, replay. The love of Jesus Christ burns for you still. Do you not know that? It burns for you in a way it has not diminished or lessened to one degree who returns with praise who returns with praise the heart of jesus for him to be moved and to be so pleased with you it just takes faith that responds with praise let's pray father in heaven Thank you for your word, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the gospel. And I pray, oh God, that anyone here who is in need of crying out to a savior, a greater savior, for greater healing mercies, Lord, bring him or her to yourself today. Bring them to yourself so that you might bring your life, your salvation and forgiveness of all sins. And Lord, would you now stir all of our hearts to bring you praise the praise you so deserve can i just give you a couple seconds here would you slow down and worship with me would you recount would you recount would you replay the steadfast love of god in jesus and how it burns for you still pray with me let's pray together